let's wrap up this series of short sermons on worship you can stick in your shoe. This one may not be so short. It's a big rock. It might take us a little while. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. The title I gave today's message is that worship is an offering. Worship is an offering. The word offering is an Old Testament word, isn't it? It's a word that has to do with the priestly services. An offering, very literally, would be a sacrifice. When you think about offering, it should come to mind pretty automatically, the Old Testament picture of an animal being put on the altar to be sacrificed unto the Lord for the remission of the nation's sins. And this was a process that God instituted to remind the nation of Israel that there had to be death because of their sinfulness. The wages of sin is death. And so someone had to pay. You remember back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell, they ate the fruit, they went to the tree that God said, don't mess with, and then they hid from him. They tried to cover themselves, they tried to cover their sin, they tried to cover their shame by sewing fig leaves together, and God came along and said, listen, that's not going to work. You remember what he did instead of the fig leaves? He covered them with the skins of animals. Now, how do you get a skin off of an animal? I don't want to be too graphic in here, but the animal has to die. Hopefully, you kill the animal first, and they would. But in the picture of God covering their sin, covering their nakedness, and therefore covering their shame and their guilt, He put a cover, He put a blanket over their sinfulness. And that image would carry through through all the priestly services, as you read through Leviticus and other Old Testament books that describe what the priest's job were to be, they were to offer offerings of sacrifices unto the Lord to be representations of what would be the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. That was always God's plan. And so he, he painted this picture in the garden at the fall by covering Adam and Eve And then he carried that picture throughout all history with the nation of Israel and he set up priests and Levites and he he declared this certain group of people that these would be the people that would come in before the presence of the Lord in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in the place where the sacrifices were supposed to be offered. These specific people, they were the only people who could come in and offer these sacrifices. They, uh, They were the ones who made the offerings. Worship was an offering. Worship was the sacrifice. It's interesting, though, that in the Old Testament, before Christ, before grace, before the ultimate sacrifice, the only only ones that could make the offerings were the Levitical priests. That meant that you and I, unless we were from the line of Aaron, unless we were part of the Levitical priesthood, the tribe of Levi, that we could not go into the presence of God. We could not enter the Holy of Holies. But here's what happened. God, fast forward now, He culminates in Jesus Christ, the Lamb being slain, who was also the high priest of all high priests. He was the final priest who would offer the final sacrifice. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, He is not only the offering, He's not only the sacrifice, but He is the high priest who makes the sacrifice. And when he does this, Scripture says that the veil in the Holy of Holies that separated the common folk, you and I, and the presence of God, that veil was torn. It was was ripped out of the way. 
And the point of that is, is that now there is no barrier. God is not saying anymore that only these people can come in and bring me offerings. Only the high priest could before that. In fact, if you were to go into the Holy of Holies in a way that was not prescribed, and God was very specific in in His details on how you could bring offerings, when you could bring offerings, and who could bring offerings. That even the priests, when they would go in, legend says that they would tie, tie a rope to their ankle, send them in with the offering to do their ministry unto the Lord. They would have bells on the bottom of their robe. And if the guys outside the curtain stopped hearing the bells ring, they would assume something went wrong. And that guy's down. And so they'd use the rope because nobody wanted to go in there lest they be struck as well. And so they'd pull that guy right out. You don't want to be the next guy that goes in, do you? You don't want to be the, uh, the replacement priest in that situation. Jesus Christ in His sacrifice, He tears the veil. He, he makes a way. He kicks open the door. You know, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we get adopted into His family. And He being the final high priest means that we get adopted into His royal priesthood family. And so now, quite literally, quite legally, you get to be in the, in the Levitical priesthood. You have the right, Scripture says, to go into the very presence of God and bring your offerings. You understand why I say worship is an offering? Worship is an offering. The question is, What do you bring as an offering? What can you bring as an offering? You know, the purpose of our church, we simplify it. You could say it a hundred different ways. But the purpose of our church centers around three relationships, three communities in which we have relationships. The way we say it is this. Hopefully it's easier for you to remember. It's that we follow the Lord, feed the sheep, and free the world. But it focuses on those three areas of relationships. We have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with each other as believers. We have a relationship and a responsibility to the lost world as well. Now, if I were to tell you that that in those three relational areas, you have responsibilities of ministry in each, you'd say, okay, that makes sense. In the area of uh, freeing the world, that third relationship area, it makes complete sense that we have a responsibility to minister to those who are lost. We're to be light in a dark world. We're to be salt and light and carry the gospel to them. We have a ministry to the lost. Makes perfect sense, Pastor. If I were to tell you that we have a ministry to each other, that makes good sense as well, that we say we feed sheep, that we are going to help each other. We're going to be accountable to one another. We're going to be family for one another. We have a ministry towards one another that makes complete sense. But have you ever thought about it in, in terms of the first relationship? If I were to say to you that following the Lord means in, in part, in large part, that you have a ministry to God? I mean, at first glance, at first here, that doesn't sound quite right. I mean, how could we minister unto God? But that's exactly what we do when we bring offerings. Do you realize that you have an offering to bring into the Holy of Holies, to the very throne of God, that allows you to bring ministry unto the Lord? That's what the Old Testament priests were doing. They were the ones who were declared to be appointed as administers of God's praise. 
they ministered unto the Lord. But now, guess what? As we all fall into the line of, as Peter says, royal priests, chosen people, holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the, pla- the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the wonderful light. You, you're a part of that royal priesthood. But, but do we participate is a question you've got to ask. Do we participate in that priestly duty of bringing offerings? Are we, are we ministering to God? I mean, maybe we do pretty good ministering to each other. Maybe you're doing pretty good even in ministering in the world to your lost friends. But how, how is your ministry unto the Lord? And the fact is, I would argue that your ministry to each other and your ministry to the world really isn't going to last very long and it's not going to be of much quality unless your ministry unto the Lord is strong. I mean, that's, that's where it starts. That's why in our purpose statement we put them in order. That, that our first priority is to follow the Lord. Our first priority is our relationship to Him. Therefore, our first priority should be our ministry unto the Lord. What are the offerings that you're bringing? I want to quickly, and uh, I preached a much longer sermon on this back in 2009. I want to quickly show you one of the offerings that the New Testament says you can bring to the Lord. It's in Philippians 4 if you want to turn there. There are other offerings that I'll not go through this morning, but let me just tell you what they are. I found at least six places in the New Testament that used priestly language for us, New Testament believers, in regard to what offerings we can bring unto the Lord. They are, in Hebrews 13, if you want to jot these down, the Scripture says you can offer Him praises. In Hebrews 13, again, it says you can offer Him good deeds. Uh, I could preach a whole sermon on this just based on the conversation we had with Jeff and Sherry. Titus, read Titus over and over and over in the, in the letter of Titus. It's about good deeds, good deeds, being a reflection of your relationship with God. Do you know that as you offer up good deeds like I serve is doing, God counts that as an offering, as worship? I mean, maybe you haven't thought about the things that you do that are, that are just good and right and holy. They count as worship in the throne room of God. Uh, I'll tell you this, that um, uh, I've preached through Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Ezra, and I can't tell you how many uh, of the books we've gone through, uh, Proverbs, etc., etc. Do you know the newspaper's never come and taken a picture of me and put it in the newspaper for preaching the Word of God? Surprising, isn't it? You know what they will come take a picture of? You know what they will put in the newspaper? When we do something wrong, yeah, don't bring that up. It's a whole other sermon for another day. When you say you're going to buy a truck full of thousands of pounds of food and give it away, we'll be there. We'll take a picture of that. When you say we're going to give away pancakes every Saturday, we'll be there. We'll take pictures of that. Amen? Good deeds. You think God counts that as worship? He does. Counts our praises as worship, Hebrews 13. Counts our deeds as worship, also in Hebrews 13. He counts as we offer souls to Him. Romans 15, Philippians 2 says that as we, as we sacrifice in sharing the gospel, 
that we get to take those souls that we, that we convert in his name, the, those souls that we help lead to grace, we get to offer those up as worship to his throne. You can offer him souls, the Bible says. It also says, and you know this, that you can offer him yourselves. Romans 12, 1 and 2, many of you can quote it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to present your what bodies as a living what sacrifice, offering Old Testament Levitical language, holy and acceptable Lord, which is your, he says, your reasonable act of worship. It's the most reasonable response you can give God is to give him your whole life. You can offer yourselves. You can also offer prayers. In Revelation, it, it paints this picture in Revelation 8 that the prayers of the saints get laid on the altar and the angels come up and they, they add uh, um, incense and other burning elements and that the prayers of the saints go up in smoke before the throne of God and they are a sweet-smelling incense. Prayers of the saints. That's an offering. Do you know that when you offer your prayers, God counts that as worship? There are probably more. I'm going to land on the one that Paul highlights for the church at Philippi. I'll just go ahead and tell you it's our stone for the day, and it is the fact that they offered to God through Paul not just their money but everything they had. Now let me say right, right here right now, this is not a sermon on tithing. <laughs> if you've been around here very long, you probably cannot count on one hand how many sermons I've given on giving and tithing. There's a reason for that. And although that's going to, be, that's going to seemingly be the focus, look deeper, past, past the money, past the stuff, to the heart of Paul as he really just lifts these people up and he is blown away by their generosity. And he's going to give us, in, in this story, in his letter here, in this portion I'm going to read, he's going to give us an idea of how their gifts to him get counted as worship in the throne of God. Check it out. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 10, and I'm going to try and go quickly here. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received, or revived, I'm sorry, your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. What he's saying here is, is that, by the gift that he's going to say they've sent to him. It appears that you've been able to revive your concern for me. You've sent something to me. And it's not that you didn't have concern for me before, but you just maybe didn't have it to give. And so he gives the impression here right from the beginning that the Philippian church wanted to give, always. Maybe they didn't have it, but when they had an opportunity, they gave it. You lacked opportunity, verse 11. Now that I... Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret, the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and of suffering need. I can do all things through him. That's the secret, by the way. If you want to draw a circle around the secret and a circle around him and a line, that is the secret. He is the secret. He who strengthens me. And so why does Paul say that? He, he's trying to convey to them that, listen, I didn't need what you sent me. I mean, he needed it, right? Quite practically and literally, he needed what they sent to him. But what he wants to convey to them that is, 
My heart is not that I'm, I'm thanking you because I needed it, because God will take care of me. I'm trusting him for that. But it's right for me to tell you thank you. And not just as a courtesy, but it's right for me to tell you thank you as an encouragement to you because it's the right thing for you to do. Verse 14, he says this, Nevertheless, even though God's going to take care of me, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. So even though I don't need what you sent, even though I'm not, I'm not just preaching for your money, Paul says, you did, you did well. You did well. Why did they do well? Keep going. Verse 15 says this, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel... After I left Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is the region that the church at Philippi is in. By the way, do you know that these are real stories, that these are real places, like in time and space? These are not just fairy tales. I feel like I have to say that every now and then. We're not just teaching made-up stories here. Philippi is a real place. These were real people. Macedonia is a, is a real region. And Philippi was a church in that region. It wasn't the only church in that region. One of the other churches that we know is in that region was the church of Thessalonica. And so Paul says to them here in verse 15, you, you know yourselves that the first time I came to you and preached the gospel after I left your region, Macedonia, no other church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. So what do we gain from that? Although there were other churches like the church of Thessalonica who we would write letters to, they didn't, they didn't help him financially. They didn't support him with the things he needed. Whatever goods, whatever stuff they offered Paul, they didn't do that. Paul says, not only did you do it, and, that, and that's the right thing for you to do, but listen, you did it when nobody else was doing it. You stepped up in hard times. The church at Philippi wasn't a rich church. It's not like they just had an abundance and they just gave him a little peace and said, great, here you go. It doesn't really hurt us. You understand the fact that worship as an offering, the idea of an offering automatically infers a sacrifice in that Levitical picture. And in every sacrifice, what happens to the sacrifice? It dies. Our sacrifices require something of us, don't they? Quite literally. Your offering probably cannot be worship if it's not in some degree, in some form or fashion, a sacrifice to you. The Philippian church, this was a sacrifice for them to give. But they stepped up, and they stepped up, verse 15, when nobody else was stepping up. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And let me tell you what this means, because this is huge. Thessalonica, most scholars believe, is probably about 100 miles from Philippi. Still in that region of Macedonia. Thessalonica, he says, they didn't help me when I left. That's fine. He's not critiquing them. He's just making the point. Who knows why they didn't give? Philippi was, at, was in need at one time, and they weren't able to give, and now they've been able to give. And so maybe Thessalonica had their reasons. Who knows? But look at what the church at Philippi did even when he was gone and in Thessalonica. Paul leaves Philippi, goes to Thessalonica. Most theologians believe that he was probably there for about three weeks and it's 100 miles away from Philippi. Now put, put the pieces together. What, what does the church at Philippi do for Paul over that three-week time when he's 100 miles away? They're bringing him stuff. Not only did they give to him when he was there, but they chase him when he leaves. 
And it says, even more amazingly, that they did this not just once, but in that three-week time, and who knows how long it would take to get there. I don't know, by foot or donkey or whatever they had, but there was no Western Union. There was no automatic bank draft. They didn't have the little square that they could just scan on their iPhone or iPad, right? I mean, they had to send someone, and they did that more than once. And in that three-week time, Paul can say, man, you've done well. It's not that I needed it. It's not that God couldn't take care of me. God's... God's taught me that lesson. Keep going. Not that I seek the gift. He's going to make sure they're absolutely clear. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now this is huge. Because what Paul's saying here is, is that the benefit of their gift, the benefit of their offering, is not just a benefit to Paul. The benefit is their own. The benefit is their own. So they opened up an account and they deposited some money in Paul's account. But Paul turns around and says that the interest that bears on this account is not going to be mine. Guess whose it is? Somehow it's going to, it's going to fruit in their account. This whole imagery here that he uses, it's not that I seek the gift, I seek the profit which increases to your account. It's literally the word that, that that fruits, it's a, it's a picture of agriculture. The people would understand this. But it's also a picture of, of, of finances. That they understood that just like you put that seed in the ground and fruit comes from it, that as they made this deposit in the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, there would be fruit that comes from it. The amazing part is not that fruit comes from it, it's that Paul turns around and says to them, in your doing well, you get the reward. You get the reward. Do you know that? That as they make this deposit, as they bring this offering to Paul, they realize that not only is it a blessing to Paul, but they end up getting a blessing themselves. And that, that's, that's how God is working this thing. In Luke 6, Jesus put it this way, Give and it will be given to you. Now that sounds like a pretty good scheme, doesn't it? And unless some of you get the idea that you're going to have your own little stimulus plan with God in heaven and that you're going to just start giving and giving and waiting on the checks to return to you, that's not how it works. But there is a principle of God's generosity for the one whose heart is like the Philippian church. Luke 6, given it will be given to you, they will pour into your lap a good measure. Now just get this picture for a moment, of, of the blessing that returns to churches like the Church of Philippi and individuals who have the heart of the Church of Philippi. God says that when they give in that way, because God's not going to be fooled. I mean, you can't just use it as your get rich, get rich quick with God scheme, okay? But what he's going to say here is that when you give in that way, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Have you ever heard that verse? Maybe you have. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. When you would send a servant in this day and time to the market and they would take a big basket to get grain, you would pay a certain amount of money to fill a certain size basket of grain. And so, I don't know, you would give them like 10 shekels and they would fill up this giant basket that you had. So 10 shekels, fill my basket up with grain and I take it back to my house. Now, when you would go, if you know that 10 shekels fills that basket, guess what you're doing? When they pour it in there, what are you going to do? I'm shaking it down, right? Not only that, I might 
Lean on it a little bit. And I'm not going to let him stop a couple inches from the top. I'm going to say, hey man, just, you know, just heap it up like that. And even if it runs over the side, that's fine. Whatever, whatever falls off here, it stays with you. But if you can mound it up the best you can, I want, I want as much as I can get for my money. That's the picture that God uses. It's a picture that they knew very well. When he says, when you give like this, you're, you're going to receive back. You're going to receive back in, in such a way that, that it's going to be poured into your lap, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. A guy named John Wolverd, he put, he put it like this, in, this, in this idea that we can give to God, that we can minister to God, in this idea that we can um, give through other people, that we get a return, and that God is glorified. Listen to what he said. He's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He said it better than I can. He said, it's remarkable that a God who possesses all earthly things can be impressed with the temporal gifts of his creation. Isn't that amazing? He would be impressed? He's got it all. Why would he be impressed? Yet it's not the amount or character of the gift that is important. It is the love and devotion that that gift reflects. In giving a love token to one of infinite wealth, the value of the gift, listen, is insignificant. The thoughtfulness, love, and motives that prompt the gift are by far more important. It is the widow's might that is noticed by an infinite God who ignores the gifts of the rich that come without any sacrifice. That's the heart of the, the Philippians. They're chasing Paul down. Paul turns around to them and he says, you may not realize this, but the fruit, the interest on the deposit you're making, it's being returned to you. Amazing. Keep going. Verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance that phrase there where he says, I've received everything in full, it's really one word in the Greek. And it's the word that would be used when you went to market and if you had a debt, you had a bill, and you paid that bill, you paid off your debt, they would stamp your certificate, your papyrus, and it would be one Greek word. And that Greek word meant paid. Paid in full. To the Philippian church, what you've, what you've done for me, I'm paid in full. There's nothing, more, there's nothing more you can give. Now, could they give him more? Absolutely. Would Paul continue to have needs? Absolutely. What is, Paul, what is Paul looking at, though? He's looking at their heart. Paul can't ask another thing of these people. And if Paul were in my ninth grade uh, English class, he'd get a D and a lot of red right here for redundancy. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. And I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, that was the guy they made run 100 miles, what you have sent. And not only was it enough for Paul, but check this out, because this is where it really gets good. And this is really the whole point of the message. Not only does Paul declare paid, and what I've done for you, you've blessed me, paid in full. I'm amply supplied. I have an abundance Paul's heart was overflowing. But there's another thing he's going to say to these Philippians. And this is the ultimate compliment. 
What you've done is what Paul calls here a fragrant aroma. You know what a fragrant aroma comes from? In this context, in the context of the New Testament, in the context of the Old Testament, it comes from the sacrifice that would be laid on the altar. When that animal is sacrificed and that burnt offering is laid on the altar, smoke rises. And the priests would, would say and believe that the aroma that would come from that sacrifice and they would pray, God, see the smoke. And we pray that you smell this as a sweet-smelling incense, that there would be an aroma that rises to the heavens that would be pleasing to God. Now, I, li- I like to put the Bible in, in, in pictures in my mind. And as I was thinking about this picture this week, you know, that this sweet aroma that comes off of the sacrifice, I mean, you've got, you got to imagine how this works with God. You know, he's in heaven doing his thing, and he's kicked back in his lazy boy throne or whatever he's got. And, and I kind of get the idea that every now and then, he just smells something amazing. Sits up, looks around at Peter, what is that? Somebody cooking something? Have you had these moments at home? Wednesday night, Elder Radley's cooking. You come in, something smells good. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to check it out. Mama's cooking something. You can smell it from outside. Something smells good. It must be dinner time. I mean, that's kind of the idea that you get here. That God sits up in in his throne. What is this? What is this sweet smell? What is this fragrant aroma that's rising off of the earth? And he looks down and he, and he sees what it is. In context, what is it? It's the Philippian church chasing the Apostle Paul down, supporting his ministry, lavishing their stuff on him, giving sacrificially, offering through Paul what Paul now turns around and says to them is really an offering unto God. You see, Paul would paint this picture for the Philippian church now to understand that as they give to Paul sacrificially this offering, the offering that goes on the altar is burnt up and the smoke that rises, the scent that rises, is not just pleasing to Paul. He's paid in full. But Paul says to them, God knows. And he's counting it as worship. And I imagine the Philippian church as they're reading this has got to be blown away that they just thought they were helping Paul. They didn't realize that what they were doing was was worship in the throne room of God. Fragrant aroma, but he doesn't stop there. He says it's an acceptable sacrifice. You know that that you could bring a sacrifice to God in the Old Testament and it wasn't always going to be accepted? Maybe it was because the offering itself wasn't wasn't the correct offering. That was one basic way that you could go wrong. Maybe you brought the wrong thing. He He never asked for it. Another way that your offering could go wrong is that you bring it with the wrong attitude, the wrong heart. But Paul says, you know what? Not only is it a fragrant aroma to heaven, it's an acceptable sacrifice. And he goes on from there. Because it's, it's a fragrant aroma, because it smells good, because it's acceptable in what it is and how you offered it, look what he says. It's well-pleasing to God. Now, I can't fully wrap my my mind around this when it comes to God. But somehow or another, Paul believes, and the New Testament would convey, 
that through our offerings, even through situations like this, the Philippi Church and situations that you might be involved in, somehow God in heaven is pleased. Somehow you bless the Lord. Can you imagine such a thing? Somehow you participate in ministering unto the creator of all the universe. I mean, that's the job of the priest, right? It's not just to to appease God. They had a ministry unto the Lord. You know they had singers? They had singers in the Old Testament. You know what their job was? That was it. To sing. Just to sing, to sing unto the Lord. This idea that, that your offering pleases God, are you, are you tapping into that? Are you a part of that ministry unto the Lord? Here's what he says, 19. You know what, Church of Philippi? My God will supply all, not just my needs, He'll supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus But look at where he ends. Now to our God and Father be the, what is it? Glory. Who gets the glory in the end from the worship offering the church at Philippi? God does. And isn't that how it's supposed to be? Vance Havner is an old, old preacher and I used to listen to some of his sermons and he preached a sermon on this text and he said, He said, what's amazing to me is that even as I, and he was talking to his congregation as he preached through this passage, he says, even as I preach you this passage, there are those of the church at Philippi in heaven today reaping the benefit of their initial investment. Because not only did their investment bear fruit and interest in that they deposited it in Paul, but as now Paul has deposited in others and others and others, and now we, right here, have it deposited in our hearts, and it bears fruit now, guess where that interest goes back, Vance Abner said. Back to the church of Philippi, somewhere up in heaven. A good buddy of mine, I preached uh, this text a long time ago, one of our former elders, helped me to do some research on this passage. And uh, he sent me an email of his results. And uh, this passage blew him away. And here's what he wrote in his conclusion. And I'll just quote it for you. He says, Daryl, it appears, when you give, the recipient renders thanks to God in their receiving the gift. That makes sense. Which was initially your act of worship. That initial act is then a sweet fragrance pleasing to God. But then the recipient further renders praise to God, further glorifying God, and then also often gives yet another act of worship, thus another sweet fragrance, then so on and so on. Beautiful. The ultimate end is thanksgiving upon thanksgiving, all of which ultimately renders glory upon glory to God, all credited to the account of the believer, lest we forget, who initiated the original act of worship. How awesome is that? End quote. Now that's, that's how God works. Are you a part of that area of worship? And uh, remember what I said, that th- this isn't a message about giving. 
although it is, it's really a message about worship. Worship is an offering, and very often that offering is sacrificial. And I would argue that your offering has to be sacrificial. This isn't a, this isn't a sermon about tithing. It's a sermon about joy. And what God returned to the church at Philippi had to, had to be an amazing thing for their heart. You know, some of, the, some of the people I know who fall into this category, they're too few, number one. But maybe you know some men and women like this, that they make as great an attempt as they can to outgive God. God never really lets it happen. I could tell you story after story about um, one man in particular who just loves to bless this church, especially in our early days. I would call him. He was sort of a mentor. He's a previous pastor himself. And I would call him and I'd say, hey, here's what's going on. And just in conversation, he would hear some need that we had. And before I could even finish, he would say, I'll take care of that. And he would. We needed chairs one time. I'll, hey, let me get that. Go to Sam's, pick him up. You can get a 10-pack. I'll pay for it. We needed a lawnmower one time. He said, I'll give you $1,000. You go to the church this Sunday and ask the church to pony up $1,000 and I'll match it. Go buy a lawnmower so the men can cut the grass. Okay. I mean, it got to the point where I had to start telling this guy no because every time I called him, he was giving away something. And he's not a rich guy. When we first moved into this building, we, we, we needed the big screen there, and we put a screen up there. It was, a, it was a permanent screen. It wasn't a screen that moved or anything. And so then the baptistry is back there, and so, you know... What do we do? You know, there's a beautiful cross back there that we don't really get to see, but that was really the only place to put a big screen so that you could see the words and you could see the, the text of Scripture, etc. And, uh, you know, I was just telling him that eventually, you know, we're hoping to get one of those screens that, you know, they can hit the button in the back and it goes up. He said, how much are they? And there you go. And, and I've watched this guy's life, and he just, he has a ball giving stuff away. And maybe, maybe you've tapped into that a little bit. It, isn't, it, isn't it fun when you just are able to let go of stuff, especially, especially in the name of ministry, in the name of, of, of the gospel, in the name of the Lord? But maybe you didn't realize that in doing that, maybe you've not tried it, that in doing that, you reap a benefit that, that you never intended to get. And not only is the person that you've helped blessed, but the Apostle Paul would say, in that offering, God is glorified. And he is moved in some way. The one in the Holy of Holies counts your offering here on earth as worship. Let's pray. God, you bring great joy to those who uh, participate in worship. It's, it's an amazing thing to me, Lord, that um, worship is really about you. Worship is for you. You are the one who deserves glory. You, you're the one that we're intent on praising. Whether it's with our life, whether it's with our finances, whether it's with our, our offerings of good deeds in this community, whether it's in our prayers, when we, when we get on our knees and we cry out in dependence to you, no matter what our offering is, Lord, 
no matter what it is we bring. It's amazing that you not only count it as worship, but, but somehow, some way, we end up blessed. We end up blessed. Or maybe that's why uh, those old catechisms say that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Lord, as we glorify You, we, we get joy. And that's, that's the right place to be. It is the sweet spot of worship to be a priest among the royal priesthood adopted through the high priest who has made a way so that we could all enter into Your throne room and bring our offerings, big and small, We can bring our sacrifices of praise, our sacrifices of good deeds, our sacrifices in our finances. We can bring the sacrifices of our very lives and we can offer them up and we can run back out and get another and we can run back in and with joy and with with no fear, run back into your throne room and and throw it at your feet again and go back out and, and get another. Father, and one day when we get to heaven, we'll just sing your praises day and night without end. Our eternal occupation will be our worship. What a day that'll be. It'll be. It'll be worship forevermore. Give us faith, Lord. Give us faith. Make us extravagant. Worshippers, may our offerings be lavish at the feet of your throne. What can we give to the God who's, who's given us everything? What could we give to a Christ who has given his very life? What can we give but everything we have? Lord, whatever you want, take it. Count it as a sweet aroma rising to your throne. We love you, Lord. We, we trust you wholeheartedly. And, and where in our hearts, Lord, maybe there's a peace that doesn't trust you, Lord, overcome our own weaknesses. Lord, you prove yourself strong in our weaknesses. Maybe you've never offered an acceptable offering unto the Lord because you have not first offered Him your very life. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death and that an offering must be made. Someone must pay with their life. Thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice and the final high priest, would pay the tab for all of humanity. And the only thing required of you and I would be that we repent turn away from our sinful life and place our faith, our trust in the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the behalf of all humanity. In faith, clothe yourself in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Join the royal priesthood. Maybe this morning you you have to take the first step which is offering Him your faith and your repentance.
Today is the day of salvation. For those who are perishing, grace is extended to all. Hey, if that's you, as we stand to, uh, to hear one more song, would you not uh, grab the back of the seat in front of you? Would you not let your pride or your fear keep you where you are? We don't do many of these come-to-the-altar moments. But this morning, maybe you sense that um, God needs that first offering, the offering of your faith and trust in Him. So don't let anything keep you where you are. Don't let Satan, who is trying to talk you out of the next, oh, about two and a half minutes of conviction, don't let him keep you where you are so that you can escape out the door and go back to the same life you've lived. God says that he is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace and mercy to the humble. And uh, letting go of that seat in front of you and coming down and just sitting next to me and saying, I, I, need, to, I need to give God that first offering of my faith. How do I do it? God will extend grace. And there's joy unmatched in a relationship with Jesus. Stand with us, church.